Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is who's that? Is that you, Joe? Joe Lupton. <laughs> hey, Bruce. How you doing? Uh, hanging okay. in there. So after a few weeks of worrying about recession risk, we get a payroll report, and boy, that blows that story up somewhat. Um, we had a block, block somewhat. No, uh, it'll take us two weeks or two payroll reports to completely abandon that. But no, seriously, uh, it does actually change the narrative somewhat. It definitely shifts the profile of risk. Uh, and it's happening against the backdrop of a, you know, a, a kind of a more complicated set of indicators around what the global economy is doing. So let's get into it. Um, and maybe, you know, you, you said this a few minutes ago before we got on, maybe we should talk about the broader sweep of the global data before we jump into the payroll report. So why don't you just start like at, at 8.15 this morning, what was your summary of this week's uh, news? I mean... I think it was a little concerning simply because we had the sweep of the the PMI data this week, both the the global manufacturing and the and then the the services side of it, which gave us the composite. And as we suggested, you know, I think last Friday at this time, we were looking for those to step down, and they 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 certainly confirmed that. Um, and it's a it's a it's a message of deteriorating momentum into July across manufacturing and services. Uh, that lift in Asia that we kind of were expecting seems to have fallen a little bit short as China kind of joined the mix of PMIs falling. And I think, you know, you and I debated a little bit how much weight to put on it, but I had put some weight on the employment part of those those surveys and those were actually had been holding up quite well and that was a nice silver lining and those finally rolled over uh they are still at elevated levels and that's probably a point that that you would make uh i don't disagree with that but the the sense of momentum loss in the pmis across sectors across countries with the employment part of it falling i think did have me concerned at 8 15 this morning yeah, and I would I would agree with you. I would probably put more weight on the manufacturing surveys in Asia, which uh, just feel like they're signaling against the backdrop of what was anticipated to be a big lift in China, that the global goods demand side is weak. There may be some specific issues around inventories and tech, but there's just generally weakness there. You know, I, I was a little bit scratching my head this week trying to make sense of the difference between the PMI services in the US and the ISM services, which moved totally different ways. And then you have the, the claims data that just, you know, keep inching up here and are raising concern. And, you know, I will say on that claims data, Bruce, just as a little advertisement for the US note that came out, I mean, the seasonals on that um, are, are really interesting and have kind of moved in an odd way post pandemic and when you kind of play around with these seasonals in a way that's sensible and look at more normal seasonals it does suggest that the claims rise um while still having moved up is not as kind of broadly based and and concerning as i was uh you know before i saw that report that came out this morning i'd encourage listeners to to check that focus piece out that because i think that's an important piece yep I would agree. Um, so that is the state of play at 8.15. Then let's talk about the state of play. Let's give ourselves till 8.45, 15 minutes to have processed the number. <laughs> where where are we at 8.45 this morning or now for for that matter? Wow. 
<laughs> no, I mean, certainly you breathe a sigh of relief. I think, um, you know, certainly on the growth side, the the, the payrolls numbers, uh, you know, what, what was that? I don't know, 525,000, something like that. 528, uh, I think. 528. Um, uh, you know, the unemployment rate moving down to, uh, what, a 50-year low. I think what's interesting, the, the payrolls numbers, it's worth noting, has finally, finally fully recovered to its post uh pandemic levels that's that's uh we should kind of take a little victory lap on that point that's a pretty rapid recovery when you think about the typical time to get labor market back above uh its pre-recession levels um so i mean all of that i think points to a recovery that's that's continuing and and a labor market that is continuing to grow there are con some concerning signs that i'm sure we'll get into in this call which is the, the the signals of what it's saying about the tightness in the labor market but you know with growth risk going down uh you know underlying inflation pressures uh maybe picking up both of those coming from this report we obviously changed our our central bank views on this in terms of thinking about the fed well let's leave the fed for a moment we'll get into central banks but i think i want to just continue on the point uh, you were making in, in the sense of the relief here, the sense I think that you get from the employment report, both in terms of the, the job gain, but the, the breadth in that report in terms of sectoral strength, in terms of the, uh, the work week having been revised up, looking backwards and staying up this month, uh, the dynamic of wage uh, gains, which is giving us a, a strong uh, start to the quarter in terms of uh, uh, the payroll proxy for income. So you're getting both. A What's sense that running at, Bruce? The the payroll proxy? It's running at nine percent, I think. I can nine percent. Uh, yeah, I mean that's something. and that's worth noting, right? I mean, you nine know, point, if you nine point four percent to be precise. Nine point four. So if you get inflation rolling off this quarter and you're running, you know, anything close to that, that's a huge purchasing power lift. And 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 to be fair, while we've been flagging downside risk, of course, and I don't think we're out of the woods yet, of course, on any one payroll report, um, you know, this is something we've been talking about that's going to happen, right? We've been saying that the resilience in our forecast, our baseline, is heavily premised on the idea that inflation finally breaks, the fever breaks at the headline level, and labor markets hold in, are still resilient, and that leads to a big, you know, real purchasing power lift that then drives a rebound in consumer spending. So I, I think... We, we, we've been good to hold on to that. And I think this was a, is, is a good day for, for that call. Right. I think the, the risk was, of course, that the business sector would undermine that by hurting the labor income profile. And that's what's not, yeah. not, not only is that not happening, but it's right. actually getting a bigger boost than we uh, uh, would have hope for under pretty much any circumstance. Well, so, that's why I turned to you after that report hit and I said, is this too much of a good thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly is in the in the context of the the more medium term challenge, which is can we actually bring the economy, you know, both can we avoid the recession in the near term, but can we bring the economy onto a more sustainable pace? And I think that's where this report is troubling. So you it's know, definitely we, not sustainable, right? It doesn't. It feels like it's going to be harder to generate an outcome here where you can get inflation back down. Uh, to a sustainable level uh, and not have to push the unemployment rate up. That's a story about the average hourly earnings number in this report giving you uh, 
more uh, confidence in what the ECI is telling you that wage inflation is running high, a sense that um, with strong job growth here, productivity growth is still going to be weak in Q3. Uh, and that mix of what's underlying in terms of unit labor costs, and for what it's worth, we're forecasting next week, second quarter unit labor costs to be up at 11% annualized base, um, that you have some combination of cost pressures that are going to make it hard to get inflation down and margin compression that is going to, at some point here, become a much more serious problem in an environment where the Fed is actually fighting inflation. And, you know, that, that I think, is the concern here. It may not show up in um, a dramatic way in the next uh, few months when headline inflation is moving lower and growth is likely to still be sluggish. Um, but it's not easy to, to, to see a scenario here where the Fed can get what it wants without actually having over time to push that unemployment rate up materially higher. I mean, let me let me push you on that point again. And obviously, we're, we're, we've been pushing this idea of the corporate challenge. Uh, this was an idea that actually goes back to the late stage of the last cycle, right? And we were pointing that as potentially being an issue. And then earlier this year, we were pushing this as a potential source. And that has been compounding every every month. And now it's a it's a big problem, as as you note. The, what I want to push you a, a little bit, or at least just probe your sensitivity on this, is you know, that margin compression, and essentially that's what we're talking about, a resulting margin compression. Um, that tends that is not a trigger of recession. If anything, it tends to roll over and and can trend lower uh, for the end last third of most expansions. Right? It doesn't like peak and then like crash down as the recession starts. You know, it says you're in the later stages of the expansion, but it's not necessarily like a that that trigger or catalyst for a break. Is that fair? Yeah, I I would look at it in. In, in, a, in a slightly different fashion, which is that the margin compression, which now looks like it's been in place since the start of the year, doesn't look like it's going to go away. The good news is companies seem uh, willing to continue to expand in that environment. But as you roll through time, uh, you create two problems. One is you create a greater vulnerability. The other is you create more pressure to increase prices to hold on to margins. And that's where I think the more uh, immediate issue is going to be um, if we're not having corporates pull back now, then I think part of the reason is because they're they're feeling they can pass some of that through in terms of pricing power. And that what that implies is that even with growth slowing, and we've already had two quarters of negative GDP growth, um, even with the energy price drag coming off in the US uh, and some of these supply chain problems coming off, it's very hard to see getting core inflation uh, back uh, well below 3%. It's hard to see getting labor costs back uh, that low. So you have a mix. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting that, that's an interesting way to kind of put it. There's two levers that corporates have in this, right? One is they can start shedding labor. And I think at least that's the simple way I've been thinking about it. Their circuit breaker that is the, of the corporate challenge is they start cutting and that drives a recession dynamic. The other that you're raising, which I think is is a good point, I actually think it's the more accurate one, is that in a world where businesses, two things are, are happening. One, businesses 
kind of feel reluctant to shed labor and given the difficulties they've had in hiring labor. So to get rid of that at this time might not necessarily be the first go-to lever they're going to pull. But the other lever that they might pull is, you, as you said, the pricing point. And I in a world where price that they are, Joe, that's what's yeah, happening. yeah, no, no, I know, but but can pull it a lot more here, right? That as they start to feel more, more and more margin compression, in a world where prices are rising a lot and they feel a lot more ease of rising a rising price environment to to keep raising prices, that then suggests, well, what's the catalyst for the recession is that the Fed needs to step in and really exactly. get in front of that. And as, as you've been saying, kind of get Old Testament at some point and drive rates higher to, you know, maybe even up to 5%. Let's be careful as we describe this, because there is a disinflationary impulse coming on both headline and core as we start to alleviate supply chain problems. Remember, we're starting from a 9% inflation rate. There is still a very substantial disinflation that will come in the pipeline if we could start to work out some of those problems. And of course, as we are still looking for pretty sluggish growth, particularly in the goods sector, the issue is whether the corporate pricing power, the underlying labor costs, are going to slow that process down. So it's not that inflation is going to go up. It's just that it's not going to come down as rapidly and as far as the Fed uh, needs it to, and that maybe we get stuck you know, 3% or 4% or 5%, who knows where well, that is. Well, let me is. just ask you on that, because I, 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 so I totally agree. It's not about, it's going to come off, or at least it, it better come off. It's just, the issue is how far does it come down and how quickly does it come down and where does it settle? Where do you think that is? I mean, I always kind of throw out 3% as as the number that if it, if it gets below 3%, the Fed will start to feel okay about things. If it's north of three, they'll really worry. Is that kind of the, the number that you have in mind? Well, I, I, I would say two things here. One is that I think the Fed will stay in away from Old Testament zone if it feels it can get inflation below 3% on a 12-month forward horizon. I don't think it needs to get it all the way down to 2%. But if it can feel that core inflation and the underpinnings of what labor markets are telling it, is consistent with a sub 3% inflation looking 12 months ahead, then it's not gonna go all the way to, to pushing policy uh, to have to really uh, weaken the labor market uh, considerably further. Uh, I right now have been on a kind of a fence like you just described a minute ago, thinking maybe we could get down towards 3%, maybe the Fed can be open-minded here for a while, even if they don't succeed, they'd get enough evidence of a deceleration to to slow them down well yeah that's so also the, part of it do they is it seeing prospectively like do yeah, they have the, to actually see month. the number or just believe that they're going below three it's a 12 it's a 12 month ahead uh, yeah. exercise it's not what you see now so wh whether they would see enough evidence to give them comfort that they're on that path or not and the problem i think with what we're seeing in the labor cost side the problem what we're seeing also in the in the evolution of the core inflation numbers to the persistent components is it's just making me feel that that's less likely. And that's really what is the other side of today's positive news. You're taking out some of the risk of the uh, immediacy of a break that you go into recession, but you're also reducing the chances that you can get on that path that the Fed feels comfortable and could um, have you, a you could turn on on its head this being a, a a good payroll report and say maybe the Fed, even though they won't say it out loud, actually wants a bit of a more slowing here, right? 
For sure. Uh, I think that this report is not something that they're welcoming. I think this is a report that they're going to be worried about. Obviously, it's within range. They would not have wanted a minus 300,000 either. But given the choices of a 200,000 and a 528, with all the details we got today, I bet you they would have preferred a, a 200,000 in that. Yeah, yeah, I that. agree. And that's and that's kind of where we are here. And, um, and it's where we are, which sets us up for the fact that we did change our forecast for the Fed, where we think they go 75 in September versus versus 50. And we and that's an additive 25, right? So we, they still do 25, two more 25s by year end, which gets them admittedly just gets them closer to where the dots are, because we kind of felt right. like maybe they'd have some breathing space to, to not go as high. But my concern, and I think it should be the concern, is Mike put in an extra 25, which is reasonable. But he's doing so based on the idea that where we're going to stand at the end of the year is going to be basically the same place we thought. The concern about this number is that what it's telling us is that at the end of the year, we're going to be feeling more concerned about that 12-month-ahead forward path on inflation. And therefore, we're not going to have the Fed be able to sit here and tell us, okay, 375 is a resting point. That's, that's to me, the, the risk in this uh, environment. These, the um, September call for them going 75 is an easy one in some sense, but what's the guidance? How are they going to be thinking about that 12-month-plus-ahead path is complicated. Yeah, uh, kid, the listeners who are kind of carefully listen to you and me, Bruce, will probably notice that we used to, I mean, you and I have been kind of on the hawkish side of things for the Fed for for better part of a year now. And we'd say, hey, they might go to 4%, right? That was like uh, us being provocative. <laughs> now that's kind of like baked in the cake. And you may have noticed we start to say, hey, they may go to 5%. Right? <laughs> uh, so uh, we keep up in the ante, I guess. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's it 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 is a horse race between the resiliency of the economy, um, the Fed trying to get an outcome that's lowering inflation, and how much underlying pressure is there in the in the system. And as we close this, we don't want to forget the first part of this conversation. There still is a lot of things that have softened around the world. Uh, there is a, a profile of claims going up, even if it may not be as long lasting and as as cumulatively large as what the the data suggests, there's still things that are kind of weighing here, and uh, uh, we have to balance these things as we look at what happens next. Yeah, I mean, what... I think I, I think there's actually an interesting divergence going on, you know, where you are seeing the the developed markets, central banks really pushing, you know, staying the course on this. We made that Fed change. The ECB, we shouldn't forget, we also now see them doing 50 in September, albeit we pulled that away from later in the year when we think they do slip into a mild recession. But that's premised on that big inflation report that we had. The Bank of England came out with 50 this week, and we now think they're going to do another 50 in September. We had thought that was going to be 25. The RBA delivered 50. In the EM, it's it's the opposite, where they're kind of counting on this inflation rolling over, and it seems like we're starting to see a little bit of that combined with the, those kind of downside growth risks that we've seen. And we had the Czech, Czech National Bank actually go on hold this week. We weren't expecting that. National Bank of Romania went 75, but you know they all but it's you know guaranteed they were going to do 100, so that was easier. RBI in India, kind of we we think they're going to kind of slow pace slow the pace down, even though they delivered the 
this week with a with a 50. Um, Brazil also was a bit on the dovish side where they delivered 50, but looks like they're going to slow to a 25 pace. Uh, so there's a general shift towards easiness in the EM, even as the DM keeps, you know, kind of staying on the hawkish course. That divergence is interesting. And that will be an interesting uh, point to look towards next week's key releases, which are largely CPIs. We have the U.S. CPI where we're looking for a two-tenth headline, five-tenth core. But we have a whole bunch of EM countries reporting the July. We are looking for a pretty substantial moderation in the, at least the headline readings. And we'll have an, you know, an interesting conversation next week on J.P. Morgan TV as we kind of process that, that information. So I'll say thank you and, and uh, uh, we'll end it here.